0: Now, the message that I have prepared is his promise of peace. His promise of peace. I'm gonna be sharing today out of history. Now, before you get all bored and disengaged, history is actually his story. You can break that word into two words because that essentially is the description of history. His story. His story began at creation, before creation, There's more to his story than just creation. There's more to him than we know in this life. So if things might happen in the world and around us, and there are facts associated with that, but history is his story. And a new and wonderful chapter took place at the time of his birth. Because before his birth, hope and salvation had been prophesied. But with his birth, And God himself taking on the frailty of human flesh, being fully man and fully God in the same body, a mystery which we will perhaps understand in eternity one day. But in that act, he brought forth salvation as a tangible reality and not just the prophesied possibility or the prophesied reality became a tangible reality. His story is one that will be told for all eternity. There will never be a time where the story of his birth is not expressed. And it is good for us to come around the word today and to share once again in some of the aspects of his birth. Now, Jesus, in my first point, was born into an empire of iron. And please let me explain. Jesus was born into the authority of the Roman Empire as the ruler over the land. Of Judea at that time. They had been independent under the Maccabees. Then they had, been, they had been conquered by the Greeks and then subsequently conquered by the Romans. They were a conquered nation. And there was an occupying power in Judea at the time. Jesus was born into a very harsh world. He was born into a harsh Judea. He wasn't born into Solomon's kingdom of prosperity or David's kingdom of expansion. He was born into a land where the people were oppressed by very hard, harsh, and cruel oppressors. Rome, were not known to be a, a, Rome was not known to be an empire of, of gentleness and carefulness and diplomacy. They ruled with an iron fist. In fact, just a couple of little basic uh, facts about Rome. We read in the Bible how much tax collectors were hated. And you think, yeah, you know, tax collectors, uh, they're not cool, But let me tell you, the tax rate in Rome was up to 70%. 70% of your personal income was Rome's property. Now that puts into perspective the kind of hatred that the people had for a tax collector. It brings a whole new dynamic. Where Jesus said where a man asks you to walk one mile, walk with him two. It was a Roman soldier's right to ask any member of the population to carry his entire gear for one mile. And they would do it without question, or it would be an offense against Rome. And so there we have the Lord bringing ministry, being born into an empire of iron. And let me tell you, these are not my words. These are Daniel's words. Daniel prophesied about Rome, and his description of Rome, we will now read together in Daniel 2, verse 40. You can quickly flip there if you like. Just as a bit of background, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, had a dream, and he didn't know what it meant, and he asked the wise men to not only tell him the dream, and but to also tell him the interpretation. And no one but Daniel could do that. It always astounded me that Daniel still said to his friends that night, I'm going to sleep. Please pray God will give me the interpretation. How do you sleep when you've got a death sentence hanging over your head? It speaks about the kind of depth of faith Daniel had in the Lord. But the interpret or the dream was of a giant statue of gold and of silver and of bronze, iron and iron and clay, representing different uh, empires. The first being Nebuchadnezzar of gold, then the Medo Persians of silver, then the Greeks of bronze, and finally, Well, not finally, but the legs were of iron. And I want to read to you now out of Daniel 2, verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, insomuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And there you have the description of Rome. There you have the description of the authoritative power over the land, the land into which Jesus was born. In God's perfect time, I need to add. He wasn't early, he wasn't late, not by one day to the left or one day to the right. He was born in God's perfect time, perfect in his generations, perfectly coming forth in the plan of God. But let me tell you, it wasn't just an authoritative power, a ruling power that was oppressive. Israel, at that time, were incredibly oppressed by the religious leaders of the day. Jesus had more words for them than any other group concerning those who separate the people from God. He rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders who were imposing laws and rules upon the people as the way to so-called serve God. And then if they followed all of these laws and rules, some of them were in the Bible, But so many were added by the human mind. But they were all called as something to be followed in order for there to be peace with God. And if the people resisted, they were put out of their synagogues. Now that wasn't like us where we would just leave a church. That was to be put out of your whole community. You were were shunned. It was as if you weren't even part of your own family. You were cast out. And they held such power over the people And so you have this authoritative power on the one side, and then you have this oppressive, religious oppression on the other side. That was the Israel Jesus was born into. It was not a pretty picture. It was a harsh and hard time. We get a different impression of that in retrospect. We know that's where things turned. But for the people living in the day, that was their reality. And yet, God in his infinite wisdom places himself into an empire of iron. And let me tell you something, that your life at this time might feel like you are under an empire of iron, that you yourself are oppressed, hopeless, and in despair. But I'm here to tell you today that the Lord is your salvation and that his ability to deliver is greater than any obstacle or difficulty you may be facing. And that is the truth. Now, Something about Jesus' genealogy I want to share with you. Not only was it the perfect time, but I mentioned earlier, perfect in his generations, that God had chosen the exact people by which he would come into this world, or the exact person, Mary, his mother. Both are descendants of David, and there's a genealogy in the Bible in two separate books. The one is found in Matthew 1, and the other is found in Luke 3. And both are exactly the same in their names until David. And at David, there's a shift. If you go and read there, you will see the names change. And in fact, I'm gonna read the two scriptures to you where the names change, that you can know that it is true. In Matthew 1, verse 67, we read, And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. And so there we see the, the, the genealogy being Solomon, uh, being David, Solomon, Rehoboam. And now we read in Luke, he, the son of Matata, goodness, that's a name. I, I, I would struggle being called Matata in this day and age. And I hope I haven't mangled it in what I read now. But the son of Matata, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Oh my goodness, here we've got Solomon and here we've got Nathan. And in both genealogies, the names are different, and yet they both end in Joseph. Now at that point, most people go, what? That kind of question is asked, and I believe rightfully so, but I am pleased to tell you that there is a, an explanation that brings complete peace to what seems to be a contradiction. And I wanna to read to you out of Luke 3, verse 23 in the Amplified Version. It says here, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son by marriage of Eli, the son by marriage. Eli was Mary's earthly father, but ladies and women were not often put in Jewish genealogies. And so to keep in line with the male expression of the genealogy, they included Joseph by association through his marriage to Mary. But isn't it glorious that Joseph is a direct descendant of David. He is not Jesus' natural father. Jesus is implanted in Mary's womb as a divine act, a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He grows in his mother's womb and is delivered. But Joseph is not his natural father. He is his surrogate father. He's the one who fathers him, but not his natural father. And Mary herself is a direct descendant of David through the Nathan tree. And here we have two descendants of David bringing up the king of kings and lord of lords destined to sit upon the throne of David. Born into the world at the perfect time and the world at that time being a harsh and hard reality. He could have been born into a wealthy family. He could have been born as a prince of Rome. He could have been born anywhere. This is God we're talking about. And his choice was this humble family bringing forth his prophecy in a magnificent way. Born into an empire of iron. And here we see that it wasn't this beautiful, peaceful time that Jesus was born into. It was a hard time. And yet, with him coming into this world, there is yet the promise of peace. And that is what we are gonna get into in our next point. Jesus came in his first coming to set men free from the strongholds holding their hearts. He came to defeat the enemy, our eternal adversary. He bought for us salvation through his blood. He comes in his second coming to establish an earthly kingdom, such as Rome was in those times. But that wasn't the focus of his first coming. His first coming was very much to set men free to know God to bring salvation to humankind. Now, my second point is an eternal message of peace proclaimed. Jesus is born into this world, and angels proclaim his birth. Please turn with me to Luke 2, verse 10 to 14. I'd like to read this portion of scripture together. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, but as you turn there, the evening must have been incredible for these humble, you could almost say ragtag bunch of shepherds in the fields. They were the first witnesses to his birth. And I believe that there was something significant there because Jesus becomes our shepherd and the first witnesses are shepherds. And I believe that there's something special in that, that it was for a reason. God does nothing by chance. And I want you to also realize that for your own life, nothing is left to chance. And if you find yourself in a place where you do not want to be experiencing things, you do not want to experience, that is not the end of your journey. Jesus himself was born into an empire of iron, but that wasn't the end of his story. And neither is it the end of yours. And I trust that as I continue to share, you will be greatly encouraged. Now reading together from Luke 2, verse 10 to 14. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Which will be to all people. Now, that is undoubtedly a message of salvation to the world, an invitation to say, Salvation has been born into the world, and it is open to any who would take Him as their Savior. It is a message general to the entire world. It goes on then in verse 11 For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, when you read that in this version, you think, great, that's just another general message. We've had the general message of salvation, and now we have the general message that peace has been given to the earth. However, there is something hidden in this scripture that if you dig a bit deeper, you will see there's something incredibly beautiful towards God's own people and not the general message it seems to be, a message of his peace to his people. I'm gonna read to you out of Luke 2, verse 14, out of the Amplified, which says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. In the NIV, it says, Now, peace among all men, but peace, uh, it says, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is different to the whole of humanity, ladies and gentlemen, family of God. That is his promise of personal peace to his people, to you and to me. As a personal promise of peace for your entire life. Does that mean you are not going to experience tribulation? It absolutely does not. There is going to be difficult times. That is part of the human experience. And let me tell you, it was part of Jesus' experience. It says in Isaiah 53, he grew up as a tender root out of dry ground. That gives you a picture of, of, of difficulties in his younger years. It wasn't all a bed of roses for Jesus. He himself grew and overcame but in the midst of it all, he had peace, and he gives us that self-same peace. And there are two scriptures I want to give you that confirms this and promises this to you, as a unique personal promise to you as a child of God. And the first is out of John sixteen thirty-three, where Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And there's an acknowledgement that tough times will come, but there's also an encouragement to still be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. But let me read the next one to you just to build on it. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, "'Peace I leave with you. "'My peace I give to you. "'Not as the world gives do I give to you. "'Let not your heart be troubled, "'neither let it be afraid.'" And that is the Lord's word to you today. I want you to take these two scriptures. I would even encourage you to memorize them and keep them with you. There's an old saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And when the enemy comes with a knife of fear, you crack out your two six shooters of John 14, verse 27 and 16, verse 33. Because these are eternal promises of God over your life available to you right now in the midst of your tribulation. That even if your circumstances do not change today, you have the promise of peace available to you, utterly available to you. Now I know we, even as God's people, sometimes go through such deep waters that we just wonder where he is. These are some of the honest questions that we sometimes find ourselves asking when tribulation or difficulty is upon us. But I wanna say to you, I wanna proclaim over you. I declare, I speak, peace among you. And upon you, with whom he is well pleased, his own people, I bless you in Jesus' name with his peace. Amen. Now, you know, Jesus wasn't just born into a harsh world. I just want to touch on some of the the, the things that he had to deal with, not knowingly, but his parents had to deal with. I can't say not knowingly. I spoke myself into a corner there. But anyway, as a little baby, he was born into very difficult circumstances, in his own personal life and setting. His mother had been on a donkey for five days, four to five days, including the day of his birth. That is a reality that he faced, that they faced. There was no choice because they had to go for the census. This was one of those harsh realities of Rome. There wasn't like they could put in an exemption because she was pregnant, they had to go. And there sits Mary, literally due to deliver, on a donkey for four to five days in a row, including the day she gave birth. Now, for every mother in this place, going through that process, I'm sure you've got an in-line understanding of how hard that must have been for her to experience. If I was to uh, consult with uh, BMW or uh, uh, some other luxury German automotive maker, I don't think they'd be sending their their top scientists or their top engineers to farms to go and assess the way a donkey walks to get their latest suspension system. Guys, we've got it. The next revolution is how a donkey walks. This is the smoothest ride ever. That is not gonna happen. And yet, that is what Mary and young Jesus experienced. And Joseph, as the father, couldn't help that. And then to get there not have any accommodation at all, and only, the only accommodation is a place where animals live, a place of a stable. And yet God himself chose that place to enter our world. What an incredible God we serve. So humble that he doesn't only teach us to be humble, he lived humility. He was born in humility. He loved in humility and he died in humility. And he calls us to follow his example But we see the situation of a harsh world and harsh circumstances that Jesus was born into. A working class family of limited means. And yet, that was God's perfect design and perfect plan. What do you do with a God like that? You can't help but love him. Now, I've shared with you today that what seemed to be the general promise of peace is actually a personal, unique promise of peace From God himself to you as one of his children, that his peace is upon you and will never leave you, regardless of trial or tribulation. That is what I've shared with you out of the first and the second point, but I want to establish it now with the third. My third point is mix the word with faith. We can be exposed to the word of God. We can hear the word of God. We can even have an intellectual understanding of the word of God. But unless we choose to believe in the word we have heard, it will not benefit us. Now that might sound harsh, but let me answer you purely out of Scripture. This I take from Hebrews 4 verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Them referred to here as the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. But the word which they heard did not profit them. It did them no good not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, for we who have believed do enter that rest. And so if I can give you two perhaps practical examples of what I'm actually talking about here, is I've told you God has got his peace for you, but I still want you to make a conscientious decision to believe it that it is for you as a unique person, and to say, Lord, to even take a moment to ponder on it and say, Lord, I believe this word is for me. I believe it, regardless of what I'm going through right now. Now, if I can give you two examples just to bring a picture. Imagine someone dying of hunger, was lost in the wilderness, gets saved, and immediately gets taken to a restaurant. And in the restaurant, a plate of food is placed in front of him and or her, and people around this person are eating, And the smell of the food is in the air. There's food everywhere. And this person sits at that table, looks at the food, then gets up and walks out. Were they exposed to food? Yes. Was food near them? It was all around them. But did they get the benefit of that food? No. Because they needed to put it in their mouth, chew and swallow, to get the sustenance to where it was needed. Now, someone dying of thirst would have the same dilemma if they came across a stream of flowing mountain water and they'd had no water for a couple of days. And the first thing they did was wash their face, wash themselves, wash their clothes and then went on their merry way just as thirsty as they were when they arrived because they didn't drink the water. They were in the water and they didn't drink the water. I can come to church and listen to a sermon. I can pick up my Bible and read the truth within. I can be exposed to his promises, but unless I choose to believe them, I can leave his house or my time in his word with nothing but the possibility of what could have been if I had believed. I want you to believe today that God loves you. I want you to believe today that his peace is for you. I want you to believe today that he has a plan, that he has purpose for you. And that wherever you find yourself, he will bring you through. And if you are in a good time, wonderful. I rejoice with you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But it does also say weep with those who weep. And for those of the Lord's people that are weeping this Christmas day, may this message of peace not just be heard, but believed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it wouldn't be right. Amen, thank you. It wouldn't be right for me to end this service without a call to salvation. There are some today, perhaps many, who've heard this message I've preached and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your personal savior. I want to give you an opportunity today to get to know him, to get to know this God who loved you enough that he died for you. And all he would ask is that you would come and lay down your life to him. Give your life to him. Repent of your sin. Turn to him and follow him. It is the most joyful, glorious decision you could ever make. And whether you are sitting here in the house today or listening through any of our online services, please pray this prayer with me. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the house to pray this prayer out loud, that we would pray together in Jesus' name. Please join with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God I believe that he died and rose again to redeem me. Therefore, I repent of my sins, and I place my faith in Christ alone. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord, and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we don't have the capacity to accommodate anyone coming forward today, but if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, you've come back to the Lord, you've rededicated your life to the Lord, you've given your life to the Lord for the first time, please send us an email on info at chooselifechurch.com just to tell us of the decision you made. We'd love to get in touch with you. We want to get in touch with you to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and to bless you on your journey with him. Info at chooselifechurch.com. Please, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and it was at a point in your life where you needed to pray that prayer, let us know. But I'd like to now close in prayer, at which point when I'm done, you will be released to go about the rest of your Christmas day. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share in your word, to bless you, to love you, is the greatest joy we have in this life. You gave us yourself. The greatest gift ever was you, Lord Jesus, and the salvation you brought for us, free of charge. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. All we can do is accept it and live in grateful joy for what you have done for us. And I bless your people today as they go from this place, Lord. I pray you keep them safe. I pray you watch over them with your Father eye and minister to them with your Father heart. May this message of peace not only just be heard in the ear, but understood in the heart, planted, and bring forth a mighty harvest for each and every person. I pray, Lord, for each member of this congregation who under the sound of my voice today, that they would become a stronghold of the peace of the Lord. Not peace as the world gives, but peace the way you give. Divine peace from you, Holy Spirit, blessed and established in our lives. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.